Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the Scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. My name is Zach Horton. I'm with my wife and co-host, Krista Horton. Hello. Remember the days when I used to introduce you with some kind of creative adjective? Yeah, we're glad we don't do that anymore. (laughs) We're studying, uh, this is episode two in season four. We're studying Joseph Smith history, verses one through 26. This is the beginning of the Joseph Smith story, um, at least the way that it's told here in in the Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith history section. And we're excited because this is a pretty natural follow-up to what we were studying last week. So if you listened to our last episode or studied Doctrine and Covenants section one, we focused on the commandment from the Lord for us to hear him. And we talked a lot about the calamities that were going on in the 1830s that are similar to the calamities that are going on in the 2020s. Uh, and how throughout all of that, God speaks, knowing what those calamities are. He speaks to us, gives us light and truth and answer and commandment. But the question for us is, what do I want to hear from God as I study the Doctrine and Covenants? What am I trying to learn from him? And what's cool is this week's study, as we study Joseph Smith and how he came to have a lot of questions himself, we get to... Um, kind of the perfect part to to last week's study. That's a great example of someone with a question facing calamities, or I think he calls them confusions, but similar words, strifes and tumult of opinions, right? Someone that's facing all of that, that has a question, a couple of questions, and wants an answer. So to start this study, I always find it really helpful, and I've, I've done this with people before, to actually physically practice it, but you can picture it. Um, <laughs> you know that activity where you, you put your head on a, a baseball bat or some kind of a stick, you put it, the stick touching the ground and touching your forehead, and then you have to run around the stick like 15, 20 times. It makes you really dizzy. It's my favorite activity. I do. <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> well, I, I've done that with people. I've invited people to do it to begin our study of Joe Smith history. Because it brings up this discussion of uh, what makes us dizzy, what makes it difficult to walk a straight line. You know, we always talk about walking the straight and narrow or the covenant path, as President Nelson put it. But we also know that there are plenty of things in the world around us that make it difficult to walk that straight line or even sometimes to see that straight line. And what's happening here at the beginning of Joseph Smith history is Joseph Smith dealing with these external forces and internal forces that are making it difficult for him to get straight answers to some of the questions that he wants. So he describes a little bit in these first nine verses. He talks about uh, some of the religious confusion that's going on in the 1820s in New York and the surrounding areas. We know this is part of what's been called the Second Great Awakening when there's kind of this revival of spirituality. And so there's all of these different denominations that are traveling throughout the country. They're stopping in different places to try and win congregants. But the way that they're trying to win congregants is they're very loudly uh, and somewhat argumentatively, if that's a word, uh, making a case why their church is better than the other churches. Uh, Joseph describes this, I think, as a... um, strife of words and a contest about opinions. He says it causes him great uneasiness. He said his feelings were deep and poignant. His mind was greatly excited 
from the cry and the tumult that were so great and incessant. He even gets into specifics and talks about specific denominations that were against each other. All of that is happening. We know from history that it's happening. Um, we also know from some of the other accounts of the first vision, there are five that Joseph Smith himself either uh, dictates or that are transcribed from his retelling. And there's some other that are secondary accounts where he told someone else, someone told someone else and they wrote it down. So we have multiple accounts of what happens. And from those different accounts, just like you'd expect from anyone telling a story to different people in different places, there are details in some accounts that aren't in this account that help flesh out the story a little bit. And some of those help us see that not only is Joseph concerned about this broader global religious confusion, he's concerned about it on a very personal level. In his own family, uh, different family members are attaching themselves to different denominations. His father is holding himself somewhat aloof. His mother has uh, kind of aligned herself with the Presbyterians. Some in his family favor the Methodists. Uh, Joseph, Joseph himself says that he uh, was meeting with a Methodist preacher and, and liked some of the teachings in Methodism, but some of them were difficult for him. Um, Methodism, at that time, one of the big um, points that they were trying to emphasize is that there is a method to our salvation. There's something that I need to do in order to qualify for God's salvation. On the other side of it, another very predominant theory or, or, or philosophy, religion, I guess, was Calvinism, which taught somewhat the opposite, that God elects those to be uh, with him. Those He elects people to be saved and others he doesn't. Joseph is worried about this on a very personal, he's 14 years old and he's concerned about what every 14 year old is concerned about, uh, their own personal lives, their own personal mistakes and personality and sins and where they stand before God. And Joseph has all of those questions. In fact, it reminds me, our oldest son is only 10, but some of the questions he was asking the other night, and I think it's because we were, we were reflecting together on maybe some New Year's resolutions and talking about that. And he had really some of these kind of deep questions of, and I think we all have them at every age, of course, but that teenage desire for understanding of self and who we are. And it was interesting to see him begin to have some of those questions at an early age. And it made me think of it as we, as we read the story. Yeah. Well, that's what it is. Well, who am I? Mm -hmm. And who does God think I am? And all these different religions are saying different things. And, and so it's, it's easy to identify with what Joseph is And you is can imagine through. that these were the traveling groups and preachers. I mean, they were loud. They came in and they, it was so literally as he's talking about some of these things, you can just kind of picture what that would have been like to be hearing these so blatant. Maybe mm -hmm. it feels like teenagers do sw swiping through their social media accounts. That's say, probably the same the, feeling. <laughs> this is the 1820 version of, mm -hmm. of, a, of a very loud Instagram account. Yeah. So with all of that going on, in verse 10, Joseph asks a great question. He says, in the midst of this war of words and tumult of opinions, I often said to myself, what is to be done? And again, from the other accounts, we know that this he's not just asking what church should I belong to or should I believe in? He's asking, what should I do about my own salvation? Uh, what should I do about my standing before God? How do I repent of my sins? How do I make it to heaven? Those are the questions that are plaguing Joseph. 
And those are the ones that he wants an answer to. So again, we mentioned our question last week. What do I want to hear from the Lord? This really exactly what Joseph's question is. What am I going to do next? That's the question that we want to study. What will I do to learn God's truth for myself? So maybe more of an action of what am I going to do now that I'm hearing God or that I have questions for God? What's next? Yeah. In fact, um, in verse 20, close to the end of this account, uh, Joseph says this great phrase that uh, I'm, I'm stealing this from Elder Bednar. He says this is his favorite phrase in this account, and it's become my favorite phrase as he's taught it. Joseph gets home from his incredible first vision experience, and he walks into his house, and his mother asks him, she can obviously see that something has happened to him, asks him what has happened, and he says, never mind, all is well, I'm well enough off, that's the 1820 version of whatever, I'm fine. But then he says this, I have learned for myself. That phrase is so electric to me that after this experience that Joseph has had, he doesn't just get an answer. He has learned something so deeply that it's going to shape the rest of his life. And yes, of course, his experience was powerful. But I think understanding what Joseph did, what happened to him, can help us answer our own question of what will I do to learn God's truth for myself? So that's our question this week. What will I do to learn God's truth for myself? And what we wanna do to help with that question is point out some things that we can glean from Joseph Smith's experience that help us to know what this learning for ourselves process really looks like. Well, I love this question because I think we can learn so much from Joseph Smith in the way that he went about seeking an answer. And going back to verse 10, Zach read the beginning of this verse. In the midst of this war of words and tumult of opinions, I often to my, said to myself, what is to be done? Who of all these parties are right? Or are all are they all wrong together? If any one of them be right, which is it? And how shall I know it? Now, this is only the beginning of some of the questions. He mentions a few others in the previous verses. Um, but we see that he's confused and he has a lot of voices and he has a lot of questions. And so I think what can we do is understand the importance of questions and understand that it is good to have questions, that we should have questions. These, I'm sure we've all had these nagging or persistent questions that maybe, or doubts, these things that won't get off our head. And immediately I think we can think that they're a bad thing, or we can think that we've done something wrong if we have a question, um, which in my experience has been anything from the truth. Although I do know that feeling because it feels like, wait, why am I, why do I have so many doubts or questions and ah, can't I get an answer? But I love that it, this is in verse nine, Joseph Smith says, my mind at times was greatly excited the cry and tumult were so great and incessant. Doesn't that sound like maybe how it feels for you when you've had those times? Um, and I think he uses the word excited probably in a different way than we do to do. I don't think he was really excited and jumping up and down because it was so fun. But that he was, um, it was a hard time for him because he didn't understand why he was so confused. But what we do learn from Joseph is that 
questions bring about great things. The church started because of a good question. And so great things for you can start because of a question. So don't shy away from those things, but understand that learning comes and I think deeper learning, more important learning comes as you really search and figure out these questions. Well, I think that's important because as you mentioned, um, it's, and hopefully it's a culture that's fading, but I think it's still there where we often feel guilty for asking questions uh, of our faith, um, of our church, of church history or church teachings or our own standing in the church. Um, We feel uneasy about having doubts, but this illustrates that sometimes it's that uneasiness that questioning, questing, seeking, wondering, feeling state that brings about some of the greatest revelations. I know that's been the case for me, for sure. And I I think that I love what we see Joseph Smith do. And maybe that's another piece of this answer to this question, but also the method that Joseph uses as a learner is what we see him do. So he asks all those questions in verse 10. And then in verse 11, he says, while I was laboring under the extreme difficulties caused by the contests of these parties of religionists, I was one day reading the epistle of James first chapter, fifth verse, and which reads, we know what that says. And then he goes on to say, you know, never did any passage of scripture come with more power to the heart of man. And he received these answers from the scriptures that then lead him to his first audible prayer. And I think that's another great thing that we can learn from Joseph Smith is that answers come as we turn to the right sources, as we turn to the scriptures, as we turn to God. Um, And as we I even like that he goes and evaluates other religions. He participates. He asks questions. He's very actively seeking. And so I think we can learn a lot from him on where to turn and how to find answers. It's interesting to think about that because uh, if we're not careful, we can sometimes view the first vision as being a passive experience where all of a sudden something happened to Joseph Smith that changed his life without realizing that Joseph Smith brought this on himself because he was questing and seeking. And of course, this is God's part of God's plan. But we forget that had Joseph Smith not prepared himself for this experience, it might not have happened. Part of this that we have to understand about learning for ourselves is that it happens. It's, it's a partnership between us and God. I ask the question and then I come to God for answers and then he provides the answers. Yeah, I think going back to what we where we saw Joseph as a young boy being he talks about that from the beginning he had a lot of these inner feelings of and as a young child wondering what's he going to do and what's the purpose of life and why am I here and you can see him wrestling with these things throughout his life which I think plays exactly into that that answers can come but sometimes it takes a lot of work and the other thing I thought of while I was reading that is that it takes time. Sometimes those answers or the solutions, whatever you're seeking, the work that we need to put into it and the time that it takes to maybe find solutions to those. Although the first vision wasn't a long vision, it took him a long time to get to that point. I think another thing we have to understand about learning for ourselves in order for us to really make this happen for us is that learning is not or not only a mental activity. 
I love that Joseph's question in verse 10 isn't, what should I know or what do I need to learn? It's, what is to be done? He understands that there's action involved. Um, I've done a lot of research on this, on different modes of learning, and predominantly, in at least in the Western world, we are very used to a cognitive model of learning that focuses on facts, information, details that we read or listen to and then try and remember or retain in order to regurgitate it at some later point, right? I'm listening to what the teacher is saying or I'm reading what the textbook says so that some point later on I can answer the question, the multiple choice question or the essay question the way that I need to. However, you know your experience like I know mine. Those kind of experiences, those kind of learning experiences often don't last very long. I retain what I need to retain till I can regurgitate it and then I wash it from my mind. There's a lot of research on other modes of learning that aren't focused only on the brain. For example, there is an emotional component to learning where I'm not just learning information or facts I'm experiencing feelings and emotions. Those experiences are often far more permanent and far more memorable and lasting than information that we glean. You know, you may read a textbook, but you're going to remember the feeling of this environment that you were studying in um, or the way that you felt when you first did this or did that. There's also a behavioral component to learning where we're not just getting information or even feelings, we're actually planning or acting um, on, on what we're learning. We're involving our physical body in, in doing something and making a difference. These three different kinds of learning, and there's even more than that. There are spiritual modes of learning, there's uh, societal, cultural modes of learning. But just to focus on those three, learning, feeling, doing, and if we can add a fourth, becoming, which I think is a spiritual mode of learning, it becomes clear that when God talks about learning, when he's involved as our teacher and we are involved as his student, he is not interested in a merely cognitive experience. Unfortunately, that's often our expectation, right? I want to gain a testimony of something. I want to read something or gain a cool insight from the scriptures so that I can then say, I know X, Y, or Z. What God's interested in, though, is us learning deeply enough that it changes our very nature. Uh, as, as one cross-reference to this point, and you'll know it, but Doctrine and Covenants section 19, verse 23, where the Lord says, Learn of me and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit, and you shall have peace in me. In other words, there is some mental learning. Learn about me. Read what I'm writing, or read what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. But then there's an emotional component, and there's a behavioral component. Walk after me. Become something different. And I think we see that in Joseph Smith's experience. He didn't come back from his experience in the Grove saying, oh, man, isn't that great? Now I know that Presbyterianism isn't true. He came back committed to living a different life than he had before. Well, and isn't it even kind of cool that at the end of the first vision, that's kind of what it what it's left at is, we'll be back later to tell you more. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of invites Joseph to ponder on what he learned, feel it, and to do, like you said, to try and become better. And you probably recognize those learn, feel, do, and become because those are things that we have talked about 
on the podcast and in our study record. And it's something that we're passionate about that part of becoming who God wants us to become certainly starts in the scriptures and it starts in how we live our lives. But it's all of those things wrapped together that really make an experience solidified in who we are to become. And I think that's what's going to be cool as we study Joseph Smith and as we study these people in history, because we really get to learn what God was telling them and what they were feeling, but also what they were doing and who they became. And and again, on the larger scale, what the church has become and where it started. Well, and then it transcends into our own learning. We're not just going to learn about them because that would be just cognitive learning. We're going to feel what they felt, try and do what they do, and maybe even most importantly, as we sense God speaking to us through the scriptures, we're going to feel and do and become what he wants us to become. And so if we're learning this year in the Doctrine and Covenants the way I think that God intends us to learn, we're going to come out of this not just having gained some great new insights about the Doctrine and Covenants, we're going to come out of this different people than we were when we started. Well, there's one final point I think that's important for us to understand about learning if we're going to experience it, at least in some part, the way that Joseph did. Uh, In verse 24, Joseph explains uh, some of what he has to go through now that he's learned what he's learned. He says, I beheld a vision. Um, I have thought since that I felt much like Paul when he made his defense before King Agrippa and related the account of the vision he had when he saw a light and heard a voice. But still there were but few who believed him. Some said he was dishonest, others said he was mad, and he was ridiculed and reviled. But all this did not destroy his re- the reality of his vision. He had seen a vision. He knew he had and all the persecution under heaven could not make it otherwise. And though they should persecute him unto death, yet he knew and would know to his latest breath that he had both seen a light and heard a voice speaking unto him, and all the world could not make him think or believe otherwise. So it was with me. I had actually seen a light, and in the midst of that light I saw two personages, and they did in reality speak to me. And though I was hated and persecuted for saying that I had seen a vision, Yet it was true. And while they were persecuting me, reviling me, and speaking all manner of evil against me falsely for so saying, I was led to say in my heart, Why persecute me for telling the truth? I have actually seen a vision. And who am I that I can withstand God? Or why does the world think to make me deny what I have actually seen? For I had seen a vision. I knew it. And I knew that God knew it. And I could not deny it. Neither dared I do it. I think one of the final points to learn about Joseph, at least for me, about this experience, is that this kind of learning is an individual experience. Notice, Joseph knows the experience of Paul. He has, quote-unquote, learned that somewhere in his childhood. But now he knows the experience firsthand because he's experienced it himself. Um, One of the interesting details I love about Joseph's family uh, is who his parents were. Prior to Joseph Smith's first vision, both Joseph's father and his mother had had some pretty significant spiritual experiences of their own. Lucy 
had had a very similar first vision, sacred grove-like experience that Joseph had. She was troubled about kind of the religious um, disagreements in her family. And so she went into a grove of trees to pray. And she herself heard a voice that spoke calm and peace to her heart. Joseph Smith Sr. was a visionary man. He had seen seven either dreams or waking visions, at least seven, before Joseph Smith had his own first experience. Now, it could be, it could have been that Joseph, I'm sure he asked his parents these questions. They could have said, well, Joseph, let us tell you about this because we've experienced it. But I think his parents understand, just like God understands, and just like Joseph now understands, that learning is an individual experience. As much as they want to tell him, that's not going to work. At least not if Joseph is going to learn for himself. And so I could see, I don't know if this happened, but I could see Lucy pointing out to Joseph the grove and how beautiful it looked on the spring morning and inviting him to go out there and take some time to think about his question. I can imagine Joseph Smith Sr. maybe reading James in a family scripture study or leaving the book open on the table for Joseph to read it because they know that Joseph has to experience this on his own in order for the learning to be deep enough that it makes the kind of change that it would. He's going to take this testimony with him to his death. That kind of change, that kind of learning doesn't happen when you just hear an experience from someone else. So as you study this question yourself this week, remember, questions are good. Go to the source. Learning isn't just a mental activity, and it's going to be a very individual and personal experience for you. But ask yourself, what is it that you're going to do this week and ongoing um, to learn truth for yourself? Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to the study this year, and we've now got caught up with these two episodes, and we will have our next episode out for you this coming Friday, and we look forward to hearing from you and studying with you. Have a great week. Thank you.